Welcome to uh, this month's School of St. Philip Neri. Thank you all for coming. Um, as you can see, our topic this night is uh, tonight is the presence of God, and um, so I hope I hope you enjoy our conversation and maybe we can begin with a prayer. Excuse me, do you mind speaking louder? Sure. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> our help is in the name of the Lord. And we can begin with our opening hymn, Come Down, O Love Divine, is in the inside of your program. And maybe we could all stand to uh, sing better. <coughs> means by which Philip acquired such love and charity towards God was the exercise of prayer, particularly <coughs> mental prayer. So great was his affection for it that all the exercises he instituted in his congregation tended to this one end. And even in the name of the congregation, the oratory, he kept this in view. From very boyhood, the servant of God gave himself up to prayer and made great advancement in it until he acquired such a habit of it that wherever he was, stirring or still, his mind was lifted up to heavenly things. Sometimes he forgot to eat. Sometimes when he was dressing, 
he became abstracted with his eyes open and raised towards heaven, truly fulfilling the counsel of the apostle, pray without ceasing. His heart, in short, was so used to prayer that it was easier for him to elevate his mind to God than for men of the world to take thought for earthly things. Even when his room was full of people and different matters were being discussed, he could not at times refrain from lifting up his eyes and hands to heaven, or from breaking out into a sigh, although he made a great scruple of, do of doing such things in the presence of others. If anyone entered his room suddenly, he would most probably find him wrapped in prayer, so that when he would, so that when spoken to, he would make some answer which was nothing to the purpose, and he would then have to shake himself or take a turn up in the room before he came fully conscious of what was before him. When he went out of doors, he was for the most part so abstracted that it was necessary for someone to admonish him every time he was saluted, or had to salute anyone himself. Sometimes it was necessary to pull him by his clothes in order to keep in order to bring him to himself and then he would make a gesture as if he was just roused from a sound sleep. He quite did violence to himself in order to look like other men, but if he gave way to the, his habit of prayer in the most trifling degree, he immediately became totally immersed in contemplation. Once after an audience with Gregory the 13th he said to Father Antonio Galonio and Francesco della Malora, who had been waiting outside for him, I have committed a great foolery. I was abstracted when I entered the chamber of His Holiness and got close up to his seat without knowing he was there or so much as taking my cap off. In the afternoon it was necessary to distract him, lest his continual attention should be prejudicial to his health. Indeed, it very often prevented him from sleeping. And then he used to call Father Antonio Galonio and say to him, Antonio, if you wish me to go to sleep, do you know what you must do? Give me some book that I do not like. <laughs> For by this means he was in some manner diverted from an over-vehement application to prayer, for which purpose he used chiefly the Latin poets or books of philosophy. <laughs> and he always kept some near him so as to have them ready at hand to refrain his spiritual fervors, else they would have shortened his life. Thus it was truly his own experience which he used to express in the third person, that a soul really enamored of God came to such a point as to be forced to cry out, Lord, let me sleep. And again, that he who could not pray just after dinner did not look as if he had got a true spirit of devotion. Thank you. Does anyone have any uh, any uh, any commentary after going through that about St. Philip? Yes. I agree that the Latin poets bore me. There you go. <laughs> Some methods are timeless. But, um, yeah, I thought it was. Um, I tried to find something from St. Philip's life on the topic of the presence of God. And uh, this was the closest thing I could find, was St. Philip on prayer, um, which I think is appropriate. And, um, so, and I think we'll see that. Uh, the way we have this structure tonight is um, basically the way that had the book structured was according to different oratorians from the first generation, uh, mostly Philip's disciples. 
who became members of the congregation <coughs> and how they approached this idea of the keeping the presence of God always to mind. And it was, I think we'll see it's mostly different kinds of prayer, different ways of praying. Um, so I think it is appropriate after all that, um, you know, the, the presence of God in prayer are so close together, and we see that pretty beautifully in Philip's life. So from our introduction tonight, this month's lesson from the school of St. Philip Neri of the presence of God presents us with the examples of several of the first generation oratorians and the particular manner in which each approached this excellent practice of making oneself aware of God's presence in our very midst at every moment. A practice we can all engage in at any time, including right now as we read this. We find that our Lord, however, does not normally grant this gift without our participation with him, which means that some effort is typically required on our part. But exactly what kind of effort is, is needed? We can take encouragement and inspiration in the knowledge that our very own St. Philip Neri was not only aware of, but also insisted upon how crucial and beneficial such a practice as keeping the awareness of God always present to our mind and heart is. Further, we find that, as usual, St. Philip's extraordinary spirituality, while deeply private in its own way, nevertheless is one that bore the fruit of sanctity not only in his own life, but also in the lives of others, that he shared with his disciples his knowledge and wisdom concerning this practice, and that he even exhorted them continually to occupy themselves with it. We will see that as a kind of microcosm of the church, the community of his disciples, who did take up this practice of the presence of God, exhibited a great variety in the particular approach of each to it. At the same time, we will also see that the common foundation of its practice for all of them is faith and love, expressed especially in prayer, and that the joy that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a common result in the life of each one. Does anybody have any, any thoughts here? I like the, um, the sentence about the, the common foundation of all of them being faith and love, and that just strikes me as particularly true because like, we hear stories of um, like Philip with his like, little string and tying knots mm -hmm. to keep himself occupied, and uh, I tie prayer ropes, so I tie knots too, and like, I'll be sitting there, and just tying them doesn't mean you're praying. Like, you can stop praying just fine, so it's not the string and it's not doing something, and then you can say, well, maybe it's just the prayer itself, like praying, but we can be so distracted when we pray, like, we can go through a whole mass and, and realize, like, I said all the responses, like, I was there, but, like, I was a thousand miles away, and so it's sort of, like, all of the things that could be what keeps us always in this awareness of the presence of God, it's like, well, it's not that, and it's not that, it's all these layers keep coming away, and it's like, what is it? And it's like, well, the only thing that makes me aware of anyone in a room or anyone in my life is that, like, I know them to exist. I believe they exist, and I love that person. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me think of them. So that's really, like, it's not talking to them. It's not doing something that reminds me to talk to them. Mm -hmm. It's just believing and, and loving the person mm -hmm. who you know. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's 
that maybe actually touches kind of the essence of it that um, that God is that He's personal, that He that even prayer is uh, more than anything about relationship with God as personal, and, and that involves knowing the person and loving the person. And um, yeah, it does make sense that faith and love and in that aspect would be central. <coughs> Something that has struck me a number of times, and here again, is that Philip's prayer was so private, so extremely private. He was just totally just, <coughs> but he was able to pass that on to others. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's that's all I to say about it. Mm-hmm. But is it, but it's an extraordinary thing that 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 kind of deep privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, requiring a certain solitude is something that you can pass on to a group mm-hmm. that then is so faithful mm-hmm. um, and so cohesive as that first group of, his, of disciples and then it's been passed on to all these centuries. Mm-hmm. So there's something that... It's amazing. It's just an amazing mm-hmm. thing. There's something about that that draws people. That mm-hmm. It's like people were drawn to him Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, one thing that struck me is uh, Claire was talking about the, the reading here about the privacy mm. of the prayer. What struck me that our relationship with the Lord is, is somewhat akin to marriage in the sense that uh, in in a good marriage, there's something that's exclusive between the husband and wife. And that's something that's rather obvious <laughs> to most of us. Um, but there's also something that's not, that's, uh, the whole point of marriage is the expansion of the human community. And it's a sacrament, the upbuilding of the church. And so um, it seems that we each, in our practice of the presence of God, have to realize that there's something that is private and, and, and quite intimate in our relationship with the Lord. But it's not private in an exclusive way. It, it, it's meant to empower us to more authentic, authentically enter into communion with others. Um, and so, you know, in the same way that we don't want to make a show of it, as uh, at first reading, you know, him kind of hiding these more expressive uh, moments of, of encounter with God. Uh, but it's also not something that's exclusive. Mm-hmm. That the whole point of our inner communion with our Lord is to, to upbuild. Church, uh, the, the body of Christ, which is yeah, and there's something characteristic of him as well. Like even, even the Trinity, there's something. I guess God doesn't need anyone else, but there's something about God's knowing and loving within the Trinity, which overflows, and we have creation. Thank you. So we can go into the text from the book here. Um, So the little introduction from the book says, um, Could the soul always consider the presence of God in all its actions? It would not only preserve itself unsullied by every stain of sin, but make great acquisitions of virtue and lead a heavenly life whilst yet on earth. David attributed the gladness of his heart to this consideration of the Divine Presence when he said, 
I set the Lord always in my sight, for he is at my right hand, that I be not moved. Therefore my heart hath been glad. St. Lawrence Justinian thought that there was no more effectual means of acquiring purity of conscience, making progress in virtue, and breaking through the indulgences of the flesh, which insinuate themselves into the soul as its enemies, than the walking in the presence of God. Does anybody have any thoughts? Yes. Paul. The phrase, uh, lead a heaven and life while somehow, uh, just brings up for me the idea, which is, well, I mean, you might ask at the beginning of this night, you know, why, why practice the presence of God at all? Uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, somebody convinced me it was a good idea at some point, you know, because I, I think it is, but, but honestly, I can't remember, you know, but why. But uh, leading a heavenly life whilst on earth, you know, that, that's, that, that tells you a lot about what it's good for. I mean, it's good for avoiding sin, like it says here, but, but uh, uh, you know, in, in heaven we'll have, God willing, you know, the beatific vision, right? Not just the idea of God, but God in our minds all the time, so, um, you know, you may as well practice, but it brings a whole lot of things to focus. <laughs> why there's a heaven? Why there's a hell? Why there's a purgatory? You know what? What you know what? But uh, um, you know what? What we're really preparing for, uh, and then you know, also a good reason to, to practice the presence of God here on earth. Thank you. I feel I feel like uh, if I have too many thoughts, you can no, talk, you know. <laughs> but uh, I feel like this part again, just that it's it's um. It's a reason and a motivation to avoid sin and pursue virtue. Like that underscores again that the that real essence of it being love. Because I think like intellectually we can all say like, oh yes, God is you know omniscient and He sees us all the time and and everything we do is already in His sight and like that's great and everything. But like that the knowledge of that for whatever reason like clearly doesn't effect change in our actions or our thoughts which he sees too you know um the way that it should sort of like um you know how there's certain people that walking down the street you would just keep doing your thing but someone else comes walking down the street like it's sort of like the priest walking into the room phenomenon where like every girl in the room starts pulling down her skirt a little bit more like in high school <laughs> and everyone like stands up a little straighter and it's like well you know it, it's sort of like there has to be an awareness of, of something more like in that case it's more like a respect thing um but the case of someone you know you love coming into the room you, you there are a lot of things you would change you know someone you don't really love or care about coming into the room, you'll just keep doing exactly what you're doing. So um, it's great because I think you can see like the fruit of the intellectual acknowledgement of the presence of God and the intellectual practice of prayer and then you see what Philip did mm -hmm. and you see that like literally emanating mm -hmm. from him mm -hmm. and um, and the real root and, and source of it, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yes? It kind of brings to mind that Christ told us, I, I am with you always. Mm -hmm. And when we get busy with all the stuff we do during the day, it would be easy to forget that. Mm -hmm. 
but keeping our mind on the presence of God kind of keeps that uppermost, that he said, I am with you always. So you don't feel the anxiety that things are out of control or that you're all alone or, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, because it brings you back to center to what he promised us. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's, that is, that is so important, I think, and it's, it can be difficult, like, like, you, like, things that you mentioned, like, the anxiety of, like, feeling, like, alone, or that God isn't there, that it is so easy to get distracted. Like, you have to figure, with, you have to, like, you have to figure all this out yourself. Right. And then you lose sight of, like, no, he's here, right. you know, he can put this on his shoulders, or he can help right. you, so. Right keeping in mind his presence kind of keeps you centered. Thank you. Yes? One of the things that brings in mind to me why it's easier for a rich man to I can't to hear you. I can't hear you over here. Okay. It's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than to enter the kingdom of God. And I think point of that probably is that we can't do things without God. Mm-hmm. And when you're not aware of the presence of God, I think too often I dwell on the, well, that's impossible part of that message. Uh-huh. Right? And it's the notion that, that when you can keep the presence of God with you, it turns that around to, well, I can't do it, but if I have God with me, then mm-hmm. I should at least try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it changes... It changes our perspective even on <coughs> our situation and our place in our situation. That it's no longer, I have to make this work, I have to achieve some kind of success in this, but rather like God is with me. And instead of, um, I know there's someone who mentioned, someone mentions uh, this idea of like, of like adultism, where we think, where we have to be like, in charge or in control, and and like, but from God, for God, we're children, and there's a de- there is a real dependence of ours upon Him, and that sounds like what you're getting at with like also with the with the rich man that he didn't see too. Anybody else? So now we'll move on to um, each oratorian, and the first is St. Philip. uh, Our father, St. Philip, had his mind constantly raised to divine things, always walking in the presence of God. He so much insisted on this practice that he constantly said, when exhorting his spiritual children, think that you have God ever before your eyes. The Holy Master himself gave the example and it was followed by his disciples. In all our occupations, we must accustom ourselves to walk in the presence of God, in imitation of the Holy Father, who, whether he walked or conversed, could not prevent his thoughts from rising up to God, so that in the midst of company, he was generally abstracted, and even when engaged in business, could not help lifting up his hands and eyes and breathing a sigh, though he suppressed such acts as much as possible in the presence of others, as he wished to walk with God unseen by men. I 
guess um I think I I think um just in light of what we've already seen I I get the I get the impression from Phil with this idea of like him walking up to the Pope and not realizing that the Pope was in the room with him. <laughs> and uh, like people had like people who knew, knew him knew that there were there were little tricks they had to perform in order to get his attention to kind of bring him back to reality. Um, that were pretty direct and physical, like pulling on his clothes and um, I think it's interesting because we, like even thinking of it as bringing him back to reality is kind of an interesting way to look at it because it, it seems like Philip was perhaps more in touch with reality in the fact that he was aware of God being with him at all times and I think that maybe accounted for you know a lot that we know about him in terms of his life and um, just his ability to like he seemed so different from other people he was able to it seems like he was able to see things as they were more easily and that's that's maybe part of what drew people to him um, along with like along with the peace and the joy that he had from that but it's kind of, I thought it was kind of interesting that you know the angle that we take looking at this is always he was abstracted and he was not with it and yet I think he kind of points to something that maybe we tend to miss, um, and the reason why he was, you know, seen by many as a fool, is that he was, you know, aware of who he was in the light of God's presence with him. Yes. I have an interesting uh, anecdote. It kind of it's like a good contrast to the, the Philip going into the presence of the Pope and not realizing the Pope was there. The whole story. So uh, back in September, uh, a bunch of the local seminary went down to Washington D.C to see the Pope. And we packed all the seminarians, and some couldn't fit in the, into the Basilica, but most of us tried to pack in there. And we're all sitting down, and everyone's waiting for the Pope, waiting around for two or three hours. Finally, the Pope shows up. Everyone's like trying to get as close to him as they can, and he's walking up the aisle, and he walks right by me, and he goes straight up, and he goes right to the Blessed Sacrament Chapel, and he kneels down, and he prays. And then there's like a realization then, like all this time we're waiting for the Pope, and when the Pope was in the room, we knew the Pope was in the room. Mm -hmm. But somehow, Pope, you know, Pope Francis reminded us that God is actually present, and God actually takes pride to place in the faith. Mm -hmm. And how much, you know, the 3,000 seminarians and religious, how, how easily we forgot that, because in anticipation of seeing the Pope. Mm -hmm. And we thought maybe Pope Francis was going to speak to us or say something before the Mass. He, he didn't. Uh -huh. But in some way he did, because he pointed us back towards the presence of God, towards God's real presence and abiding presence in the Eucharist, which, at least for me, was easy to forget in the anticipation. Mm -hmm. yeah. That, that, yeah, I think that illustrates really well. Like, in fact, that's a perfect like, uh, illustration of our, the difficulty that we have, like, even, if, even when in, even in the sacramental presence of God, forgetting that he's here, uh, and taking someone whom we consider so important to show us. Yes? God invites us to fall in love with Him. It's sort of like a uh, a couple when they are first in the love bubble, and the whole rest of the world blissfully blissfully disappears. And the only way that you can get to know another person is to spend time with them. 
And so I think that's why uh, in guiding us towards learning about the presence of God, he's, he's uh, reminding us, showing us, you have to spend time with someone to get to know them. And so by seeking to be in God's presence, it's just to seek to know and learn who he is and to converse, as it were, in prayer so that you can just have a more intimate understanding, I would think, on what, uh, on how God would wish his own love to pour through us mm -hmm. so that we might be better servants to his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. And I think, and that comes back to the idea of, of relationship, of uh, getting back to it being, you know, all based on um, faith and love. And yeah, I think that's, and, and, that's such a beautiful illustration for us and how marriage in some way points us to um, the life to come, which is relationship with God, we, how we see that even now. Uh, thank you. Yes? I'll, I'll come back to the beatific vision because things in the text keep reminding me of it, okay. and maybe appropriately, but think, think that you have God ever before your eyes. That's another one. I mean, I, I can't really conceive of I can't conceive of God being in my mind in the place of the idea of God. But uh, one thing that one could imagine is having to stare at someone all day or having them stare at you all the time. Uh -huh. And you can't look away because they're faster than you. And you, have eyes. you can't close your eyes. So, you know, now, again, um, you know, you, you think, are you, are you ready for that? Are you ready for heaven? God staring at you, you know, all day, all the time. <laughs> And as to the previous point about marriage, I, somebody, I don't, I'm not married, I don't, you know, how you, you pass your time all day married life, but somebody once told me, you know, spouses can stare into their eyes all night, each other's eyes all night. I, I don't know if you do that, maybe you do. <laughs> maybe it's something like that. <laughs> maybe in the love bubble, I don't know. <laughs> It seems like we can adapt uh, John of the Cross's uh, phrase. Uh, remember, for the soul seeking God, remember that God has been seeking the soul first. Mm -hmm. And you can turn that to, for the soul seeking the presence of God, remember God has been, you know, seeking your presence first. God has been holding you in his mind first. Mm -hmm. uh, so to have that kind of goes back to the relational aspect and everything. But God's always thinking of us uh -huh. in a very profound way. He knows us more than, he knows, than we know ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually... That's good too, because like we use the phrase "practicing the presence of God," and then so it's kind of like, well, this is something I have to do. If I don't, if I'm not, if I'm not aware of the presence of God, it's my fault because I'm not practicing it. But that's not how relationships work, and the fact that God is initiating, and if we even think about trying to practice the presence of God, it's because He's already been trying to get our attention. So it's not, it's not just like some kind of game or method, but it's. The fact that God is real and He's really calling us. Yeah, thank you. Father, uh, just uh, sort of an interesting uh, insight that this records here that, uh, you know, like even in business meetings, you sort of almost want to <coughs> start to go into a little bit of an ecstasy and eyes and hands look good to God. Oh, you know, kind of odd that that must have been for the people in that meeting, you know, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that He's really good saying that might help a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I almost start, start to think that, you know, someone like that, uh, and that he, he tries to hide it and wish to walk with God unseen by man, by man and that, that, that might, like, lead someone to think of him as a little bit of a recluse, 
but time and again in the actual life that he lived, he lived, lived but he would leave the key under the mat in his, uh, his bedroom so that people could come in any night, any time, day or night. Mm -hmm. You think, wow, what, you know, I mean, you wouldn't be taught that in seminary because they say, oh, you're going to burn out. Right. You know? And they don't do that. And, uh, and yet he was really a man for others. So somehow that communion that he had with God, he was able to translate that into communion with people. Mm -hmm. And he did it in seamless holiness. Mm -hmm. The one flow greater to the other. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that that kind of idea of how he's. Like we talked, I think, last time about how um, it just seems like Saint Philip is always doing like all these things. You think the saints, or the saints, um, like he's always helping the poor. He's always praying. He's all like he doesn't seem like he's ever sleeping. Or but that um, and that there is maybe a desire for him to be at prayer, but there's also a desire for him to be with people and that I guess yeah, I guess that's like the idea of like charity was so alive in him that it didn't that the form it took whether with people or privately. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. It sounds that he was living closely how Christ lived. Christ would go and pray with the Father. He was with the people and healing the people and teaching the people, but then would go off on a boat and sleep on a boat. So anyway, that it just occurred to me the similarities. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and Christ says, like my, when they think that uh, uh, disciples say something about him having bread, and he says, "My bread is to do the will of my." Heavenly Father, and that seems to be kind of like the same thing with St. Philip, like if it was time to be alone with God in prayer, or if it was time to at any point have people come to for confession. Or... Like he had the grace to live that way. I'm sorry? Like he had the grace to yeah. be able to live how Christ lived. Mm -hmm. It always makes me think of the uh the scene from the Gospels when Jesus finally goes off into the boat to take a nap and go to the other side and relax. And every time I hear that Gospel and he gets off the boat and there's the thousands of people, I'm just like, oh, like, why would they just leave him alone, you know? And the disciples were like, exactly like that. Like, why won't you leave him alone? Why won't you give him like a moment just to like rest? And his heart's just like moved with compassion and he just goes right back into it as if like he wouldn't be able to rest anyway mm -hmm. leaving caring for those people right. um, un, undone and it's it's interesting to me because my first my first thought when we began reading this was like well we need to make sure that we're like in the presence of God in the right way and like we're doing the right things and then like listening to different comments from around the room it's really extraordinary to me how, how more people are seeing this practice of the presence of God as, as bringing all this sort of um, like healing to the struggles of daily life and this, this sort of like relief of it that, that practicing the presence of God isn't so much like make sure you do it right, which is 
what I was thinking of it as, but more like there's this freedom from anxieties and worries. There's this like new hope or new possibility that's given to every challenge. Um, this tremendous weight is just kind of lifted and um, really, again, because it's relational, it's not just this demand where you like have to give the right things, but you receive this like abundance mm -hmm. in actually practicing the relationship, which is Yeah, I think, yeah. It changes our, well, I guess this kind of gets us out of, like, our... Sorry, finished. I'm not sure what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I was saying. <laughs> 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 Siri can't hear you. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that it does. I like the idea of it, um, the perspective that people have been bringing. Like that, um, I think it changes. It helps us to get away from our tendency, which is to see God as like a taskmaster who has certain demands for us that we have to meet them, even if they're like, even if they seem like good demands, like praying or getting to mass and things. And and then once we do that, then. <coughs> we won't get struck or whatever, but, um, but, 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 the, but rather that, um, that God is, like Brother Peter said, is seeking out us out first and that God is love and that he, you know, Christ calls him, tells us to call him our father and, um, and, so, and that, you know, I guess even, yeah, just, I guess even thinking of like a little kid in the presence of his dad, you know, they, they trust their dad and um, <coughs> are at peace with him and feel secure with him. And yeah, I guess, I think that's kind of, again, I guess, you know, that's just kind of how you, I think that's how Philip can do things like spend hours in prayer alone, but have the key under the mat so that anyone can come <coughs> at any time and he'll, and him just be completely open to, <coughs> I might be alone for hours, which can be frightening to people, or uh, I might have the next hour, the next several hours, you know, trying to help someone who's in some kind of great distress or difficulty, and how could he do that unless he was just aware that um, it wasn't just him, it wasn't all on his shoulders, and it wasn't, well, I'm St. Philip Neary, so I have to, I have to do this right and get this, I have to help these people, or I have to spend many hours alone in prayer in order to get in God's good graces, but rather that, because he was already aware of his, you know, being a child of God, something that, and that's something that all of us can be aware of, like we're all baptized, and we're all God's children, and so I think, you know, maybe that was what allowed him to receive the grace to, um, to live that such an open life. Maybe. Does anyone? Um, so we can move on to the next oratorium if no one else has any comments. Um, so Blessed Juvenile on China. And these are kind of very short uh, vignettes. So, but we can get a little snapshot of what some of the early oratoriums were like. 
Um, if we should say that Father Juvenal prayed always, we should not be far from the truth. For in the process, it is, disposed, it is deposed of him that his life was one continued prayer and a constant union of the mind with God. And this we may well believe, since he said, Often raise your minds to God, for there is no greater joy than this. Anyone have anything? Yes. I think that uh, that last line, "Often raise your minds to God, for there is no greater joy than this." I think talk about something that we need to practice is like integrating that and like asking the Lord for an increase in faith to believe that. Um, because especially at the beginning, unless the Lord has given us a special delight or, or joy or a taste uh, of union with them. One of the reasons I think that we get so distracted by the things of this world and get so attached uh, to persons and things that um, I guess are rightfully jo enjoyed uh, if, if we allow uh, wisdom to direct us in our enjoyment of them. Um, but, but I think that um, we can hear stuff like that and it seems like, oh yeah, 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 that's true. But then what are we doing to actually encounter that truth in faith. Like, Lord, do I actually believe that there's no greater joy than to lift my mind to you? Or am I tired? Do I get exhausted by lifting my mind to you? Or why is it easier? And we get attached to maybe a particular feeling of joy that we think we're supposed to experience uh, when lifting our mind uh, to the Lord. So um, I know often whenever I would read things like this, that I, I don't know. It would set me off because um, <laughs> it would just be like, what? This sounds like pious drivel, to be honest. Uh, and then you realize, like, no, these are people, when, especially persons like, like this, who were trained and lived by, you know, according to the, the norms and the rules of the saints. Um, there's a lot of other things that are presumed. There's an effort here. You, you do have to uh, practice, you have to try and put things aside. But, the object that you're seeking is not like I think you were saying this earlier that we often fall into is like I got to do this, I got to do that, and I got to. It's more like no, I'm actually what I'm actually trying to practice is receiving hmm. God's peace, is receiving His joy, and in order to do that, I have to let go of my preconceived notions of what it means to be consoled or to be in a state of joy. Um, of course, a beautiful modern example is Mother Teresa, who. Uh, was such a, a saint, a witness of joy, and yet experienced interior felt desolation for 40 years. And that's not something that we get intuitively. <laughs> but, but by a gift of faith and, and kind of intentionally lifting our minds to those truths. Yes? I believe not only do we receive the joy of Christ by lifting our minds to Christ, but in troubled areas of life, when we're going through trials, when we're going through changes in our personal lives that we're anxious about, or heavily concerned about, or troubled about, we lift our mind to Christ then. We don't only receive joy, but I believe we truly receive this great peace too. And then when we receive that great peace within our soul, we also can receive that it's not our trouble. God now has received it from us. And he's handling the situation instead of us working it out in our carnal mind. The Holy Spirit's taking over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think so. I think 
I think that's maybe what Antina was seeing, you know, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit from lifting our mind, uh, resulting in lifting our minds to Christ, even in the midst of whatever's going on around us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with, with what Father Stephen was saying. I was kind of nodding my head because I, I, I read lines like this and it just, I'm like, I I just don't experience that. Like, where is all this like instant joy supposed to come from? And, and I think it's a very challenging thing to read because it challenges us, it, it challenges us to, to actually try to raise our minds to God, which just seems to require like so much, um, like setting aside of self, forgetfulness of self. Like if you could just f for five minutes, but I I don't think I know I'm not capable of five minutes of uninterrupted like non self awareness. Like it's just it's incredibly hard to actually do that, and so I think it's something you just kind of have to take on faith and then start. But I wonder how, how many of us, including myself, actually believe that if we forget ourselves, it's going to make us happy. <laughs> like it's actually going to bring joy. And it's, you would think like you go into adoration for an hour, it's like, well, what, what is so threatening about forgetting myself for an hour? Like forgetting Christmas shopping, forgetting grocery lists, forgetting the house, just forgetting everything. Like, nothing bad is going to happen. Like, I'm not going to be attacked mm -hmm. in the one hour that I'm in here. And yet it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like, it's just so impossible. And I feel like, so this lines like this sound unbelievable because it's so rare that we encounter someone mm -hmm. who is actually capable, who has the amount of like faith and trust mm -hmm. to actually raise their minds. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it sounds like such a simple thing, but I think maybe in reality it's like really scary for us for some reason to do. I'm, I don't know. Start with five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Start small. <laughs> yes. Thank you. It seems at the very underlying of, of that phrase is actually trust. Hmm. That actually are trusting the Lord to help you do this, mm -hmm. to focus on Him. Mm -hmm. So to be able to do that, there is an element of trust in Him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, um, that Father Juvenile actually meant what he was saying, that it actually is, for him there is no greater joy and he wouldn't be able to say that if he, at some point, he didn't trust the yeah, Lord. was able to. He wouldn't have the capacity to do that. Right. So if you kind of look at it in another way, that if you develop trust, mm -hmm. then being able to raise your mind to the Lord isn't as formidable. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. Which is convicting, at least for me, like, uh, I was thinking early in the week when we were preparing this, um, even just thinking about being aware of God's presence, I realized, oh, I've been so distracted 
I haven't been doing this. And it does, that, that's kind of convicting. And then even the idea that, um, I guess it just does kind of reveal to you, you know, what am I trusting in? And uh, yeah, it can help you to see, am I trusting in the Lord that he'll provide this kind of joy that's not dependent on feelings or anything that I do. Like it's not originating in us. We can't. We can't. Like Christ said, you can do nothing without me. So no matter what we do, if it isn't from grace from Him, so in trusting Him, we'll be able to do that. Or would it seem so unreachable to us? <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? On Angina? Okay. Um, next oratorian is Cardinal Baronius. And Baronius could not be diverted from the presence of God, but was often heard to repeat, O eternity, O eternity, that being the frequent object of his thought. And uh, recently, um, Brother Peter has a group at seminary on in which they read the sermons of Cardinal Newman and uh, recently there was an, an Advent sermon and uh, given by Cardinal Newman and uh, uh, I, I think Cardinal Newman also was, I think he was like St. Philip in his awareness of God's presence. I, and again, I, I, I find myself convicted listening to Cardinal Newman as well. And his last line, he said, um, he was talking about the need to, the need to be aware, like, of God's presence. And um, he said, his last line was, um, because life is short and um, death is certain and eternity is, or the world to come is everlasting. And it's just such a daunting phrase, um, but daunting maybe uh, without this perspective of um, what being aware of God's presence is about, like being aware that He is our loving Father and that we're His children in His presence. And um, and then, um, yeah, then 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 the trials like of life become preparation for eternity with him and purification um, so that's not so daunting that you know then it becomes a good thing that life is short and death is certain and the world comes everlasting because if that's what we desire and if we're practice at being in God's presence God who loves us and wants us to convert in order to be prepared to see him. Um, then keeping the idea of eternity in mind is fruitful in that way, I guess. Or, yeah. Yes? Well, it seems that when we talk about uh, faith and love, what's also kind of implicit there is hope. And hope being the theological virtue and a gift from God that allows us to, to trust in ultimately heaven and the, you know, we're going to be 
you know, if we persist in the, you know, persevering in the Christian life, we will experience the joys of the beatific vision. But the thing is that trust, it, it's almost like it's a gift from God, but we ourselves are somehow, because we are impure, we sin, we, uh, we fall short of the glory of God, that adherence that we need to have is inhibited because of ourself. And we need to keep on reapplying that. It's like a, like a band-aid that, you know, you can't keep a band-aid on for more than a, a day or so, it seems, because you always have to reapply it because it's, you know, your skin gets dirty and it comes off. Uh, and this idea of calling to mind the presence of God as a way of kind of re-adhering, you know, conforming yourself again and again. Anyway, and we pray, uh, you know, we pray the game of the rosary uh, for the increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Well, to increase in hope, is going to be that continual adherence, looking forward to that final end in God. And the rosary itself, of course, is a, a great way of even practicing the presence of God. Always turning your mind, so I'm talking about too many things, but yeah, it's a kind of keep returning to, to Christ and the mysteries of Christ and with, with the help of Mary. Um, okay, that's all. Thank you. Yes? So, uh, I'm sure many of us who are over a certain age, we start to realize that we, we talk out loud to ourselves, you know, because no one's really willing to listen to us anyway, so that's what we're And uh, so, uh, you know, the, no, I was talking to a widow the other day, she said that, you know, now her husband's gone, she's home alone, you know, she finds herself with these little outbursts, you know, during the day, and, you know, as long as she doesn't respond to what she's saying, she feels that she's, she's okay. Yeah. Uh, I find myself doing that if I'm thinking about, like, a, a politician or a candidate or something saying, you know, this blanket statement, but they're, well, we all believe, and I, and I always say out loud, that's what you think. <laughs> I completely disagree with that. And, but uh, it's, the most, it's this thing about, you know, when you, when you say something when no one else is around, or you're not really talking to anyone, it's, it really is a disclosure of where, where your mind is. And his was on eternity. And that was, that was you know, that's, what's the commercial, what's in your wallet? Well, what's on your mind? You know, and that's far more important than what credit card you have is, like, what, what is going on in the, you know, the time and space that you are, are dwelling in? And for these guys, it's all, you know, they're not about, you know, relationships in the community or, uh, you know, what a politician might think or, you know, a hundred other issues that, you know, shopping lists and all the other things that we sort of get tumbled around there so often. When they're really uh, being themselves, they're prayers, not saying prayers, but they are prayers. <coughs> I found that helpful because, again, these are some of these lines where I'm almost tempted to kind of, well, more the beginning of my conversion, to roll my eyes like, really, come on. Um, but, but I think that's it. That's the key is like they have habituated themselves to desiring eternity. And they've been setting us, they've been letting go of the hopes that they place in the things of this world and, and allowing hope to increase in the promises of Christ. And it really does become their desire. And that's when they're alone or whenever they're not aware that someone else is around and yet it slips out in one form or another where their mind is and where, where their heart is. You know? um, <coughs> you're driving on the freeway. It may be a good sign of where you actually are <laughs> in your prayer life. <laughs> 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 I like that.
they say these kind of things that seem so crazy is because that's really where their heart is. Mm -hmm. And that's where our hearts need to be as well. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, your comment, the comment on driving on the freeway reminds me. I had contact with a, uh, a, a, a actually a, 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 a Orthodox priest, who, or Eastern Rite priest, who <coughs> was a Greek counselor for the hospice. And he's come to see me on several occasions. <coughs> I think I'm recovering enough that I, I'll lose the contact. But anyway, <laughs> uh, he talks about being, living a life of awareness all the time. And so when he's driving, he breathes regularly and with his in and out breath, it's, each is, it's Abba and Father, Abba and Father. And he lives his day this way. And it's, but it's talking about praying on the, the, the throughway made me think of that sort of study. And um, uh, so other people, it's not quite the same eternity all the time, but there's other people that do similar things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um. So we can move on, I guess, to Father Flaminio Ricci. And it, um, it is related to Father Flaminio Ricci that <coughs> he enjoyed so close and constant a union with God that it was visible even in his countenance and could easily be discerned in his conversation. Uh, recently, uh, um, in uh, one of our classes, we were reading the Acts of the Apostles, and when it speaks of St. Stephen, when he's about to be martyred, and it says um, those who were about to stone him looked at his face and saw that he had the face of an angel. And um, the, our instructor pointed out that when you hear that, it seems like he had just you know, like a very sweet, um, harmless face. Maybe that's what we think of when we think of the face of an angel or like a baby. But he said, he pointed out that like in scripture, um, Angels are like when people encounter angels, their first reaction is fear, and angels have to say, "Don't be afraid." That's um, and so there's something uh, because the angels are always in the presence of God, and there's a kind of they're kind of bringing the awareness of the presence of God to those um, whom they whom they appear to, and that that was kind of Saint Stephen's. The same thing was with Saint Stephen that he was. As he was about to be stoned, he was his mind was on heaven, and his mind was on um, God so much that he was there was his countenance reflected, um, you know, his awareness of the rea the reality of of the presence of God, and that's kind of what I thought out, thought about. And the the instructor who said that he said he's met people whom he thought he could say that about that there's something about at different times their face kind of reflected um, uh, maybe not like a physical light, but like uh, just something about them that was very, um, like a, kind of like a gravity, but also reflecting the presence of God. 
that was my thought when I read this. Does anybody else have? So there's a ton of anecdotal stories out there about uh, Mother Teresa and Blessed uh, St. John Paul II as well. Uh -huh. People having those types of, of encounters with them. Um, that, uh, several people said that it was kind of a mysterious combination of clearly that they were in the presence of God, but that they had never encountered another person that they felt was more present to them. Okay. Like they felt mm -hmm. like that they weren't the only person in the world in that moment, that exchange of a glance, even if it's only with briefly and in a receiving line. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, I think that that also bears testimony to the fact that um, maybe I have to think about this as a priest. Where you know, there's so many explicit requests, if you will, for people to have you show them God. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at the lives of the saints, and I forget who said this earlier. Like Philip was so detached, he was so detached from himself that if he wanted to be in the presence of God, but he was fine if someone interrupted that, if God permitted that. So he'd leave his key under his door, and he might be in there for several hours in time, which is what he would hope and want, without being interrupted, or he may be constantly interrupted. Um, and so kind of like St. Paul, whether I'm, you know, uh, whether I stay here to serve God or whether I go to be with him, it, ultimately it doesn't doesn't matter um, and uh, you know but but when you hear those stories of like these people saying that like they just caught St. John Paul II's glance when, you know as he's driving by the Pope Mobile and felt like pierced to the heart and transformed by it that is not our efforts <laughs> that's that's just somebody who's completely surrendered to God and realizes that they have a task that they can't accomplish on their own and um, uh, you know that one glance that was given at the prompting of our Lord with complete and utter docility to Him uh, can bring about a greater conversion than hours of uh, explicit uh, preparation to talk to someone or even a homily or something like that. So um, I think this this goal, this or this um, the object of being in the presence of God. I think we have to get out of our minds that this is just a fanciful, kind of extraordinary grace that you have your few venerables and blesses and saints that obtain this. But like, this really is the universal call to holiness, and this this is not beyond the reach of anyone. We may not have mystical ecstasies or kind of extraordinary manifestations or miracles being worked, but God really does want each of us to be in this state of, of union with Him before passing from this life to the next. Of, uh, it's kind of neat that now of course if you're like me you can't just like oh that'd be so awesome to be able to just look at someone and have them yeah. these people they're completely unaware of that <laughs> the people are saying these things about because <laughs> they're so humble that's what I was thinking I was like wouldn't that be weird you're like, we're like <laughs> you feel God when I look at you? my eyes will pierce your heart <laughs> We're out staring all day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anybody else? So, Father Pietro Conciolini, I thought his, oh, this is really short. Um, yeah, it just says his life is one of continued prayer and perpetual dwelling in the presence of God. 
so we can keep going. You know, unless anyone has anything. But. So, blessed Antonio Galonio, um, it is said of Father Antonio Galonio that by keeping his affections detached from all things human, he could easily raise them to the things of heaven, and that he found such sweetness and facility in the exercise of prayer that even in exterior occupations, he never lost sight of the presence of God. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, someone, someone just brought up detachment. Uh, and, yeah, I think it does, um, well, I guess, does anyone have anything, does any, anything strike anyone? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think this kind of goes hand in hand, and maybe St. Philip is a good example again, that um, he was so aware of the presence of God that he actually needed distractions because he was so detached from the things of the world that, um, like Father Stephen was saying with St. John Paul II or Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, that they were just so surrendered to God and um, that that surrender to him just puts everything, put everything in the proper perspective that they didn't feel the need to be attached to anything in this life. Yes. Well, I guess I have a question. Um, so this kind of surrender, you know, is something that I think we all would like. And, you know, I'm sure I mean, anybody who's here is trying to move toward that in their life. <coughs> maybe I know this answer, maybe I don't. I don't really know. I mean, is this something, I'm guessing this is something you can't do with will alone. Because we can do our part. You know, to stay out of sin, to completely detach from, you know, all disordered affections of the world. But at some point, I mean, I know Father Stephen said this is something we can all attain, which is, you know, exciting. But then at some point, does God just have to kind of choose to let you be in his presence 24-7? I mean, a grace given? You know what I mean? I guess how much is will, how much is grace? And where does that, you know, where's that line drawn? You know, if you're trying your hardest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make your presence. <laughs> 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 like, uh, you gotta wait, Sheila. You know, but when? Yeah. Uh, you can't answer for me, but I don't know. <laughs> We're just in general. Yeah. Is there a time? Well, um, I mean, it is a good question. I mean, I guess perhaps beginning with the, just the fact that we are always in God's presence. That, that that's a reality whether or not we're striving with our will to cooperate with his grace which is initiating or if we're as far from God as we could possibly be in terms of the way we're living our lives that it is still true if we don't feel it or however whatever effort we're putting in it's simply true that we're in the presence of God um so, because I don't know, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how to, in terms of like the interaction of grace and free will, and I, I imagine trying to be faithful to, you know, the life of prayer and the sacraments, and but, but with the awareness that, I'm oh, sorry, Kay. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry to say maybe I'm asking something that's very defined and 
God's trying to be like, it's not all that. You can't find that point. You know, some things are just a mystery. Just know I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the point, is what you're saying, you know. I think it's not so. something that can be calculated, you know. No, thank you. Thank you. I like to think the analogy of a, a bird okay. flapping its wings, trying to get higher, talking about raising your minds to God. Mm -hmm. uh, a bird can do its own effort and you know try to flap its wings. But an eagle, an eagle soars not by flapping its own wings to get to really extreme heights, but by looking for and seeking out the updraft of hot air. You'll see it like flying over roads because there's the road heats up a lot and the air heats up over it and all that air lifts up the eagle. All it has to do is stretch out its wings. Mm -hmm. But the eagle has to seek that out. It has to do initial effort to start flying. It has. But uh, the problem is with detachments. If you have anything, a little piece of string is not to hold that eagle down. Mm -hmm. uh, so anything like that will hold you back. Um, but insofar as you're detached and you build the habit of first your own efforts and also seeking out the grace, seeking out. Uh, the prayer, especially the sacraments, for God to really raise your mind and heart to Him. That's mm -hmm. yeah, really good. I like that. That's good. Yes. I feel like, in part, there's something about it that that has an aspect of, like, as you said, we're always in the presence of God, whether we're aware of it or not. So it's like there's an infirmity or a blindness or something like inhibiting us from that. And one of the most striking homilies I ever heard here was on the gospel of Jesus going to the pool of water and the crippled man who'd been there for so many years. And, and Jesus goes up and, and he asks him, do you want to be healed? And in the homily, the father said, you know, it, if you really think about that, it can seem like a cruel question. Mm -hmm. This guy's been like laying, of course he wants to be healed. But it's not of course he wants to be healed. He's been laying here for years. Mm -hmm. Like, do you actually want to be healed? And and in all of these cases, like, it's not even like, or the blind man who, you know, I, I want to see, like, if you will it, and I, I do will it, and all these, it's, it's always faith in the fact that he can heal us that brings about the healing. So, like, I, I may have all these attachments, which I just can't, like, I can't possibly force myself to not be attached to the beautiful good things in my life that I have, which as beautiful and good, and as much as they might be a gift from God, they can become a distraction because they're good. Um, there's this really great part, I won't go on for very long, I promise, but in, in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, it's like my favorite line of the entire book, and he's talking, uh, the angel is talking to this guy about what sins make it more difficult to get into heaven, and he says, you know, it's not the base sins we would think of, it, it's the most good and beautiful things, it's our attachment to these people or these good things, because the, de the demons weren't made from, uh, like, animals. They were made from archangels. Mm -hmm. It's the most beautiful and the most good things that can work against us the most because we mistake them for gold, mm -hmm. even though they're not. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, we can't, I don't think we can actually, we can't force ourselves to be detached. But it's sort of that faith of, like, I, 
like I do believe help my unbelief. Like I, I, I just, you know, um, I don't know where all that was going. No, that's... But, um, yeah, I, I think, again, it's, it's faith and, and love and the belief that he really can open our eyes. Then maybe we have to see him to ask him first. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds a little hopeless. There's, that reminds me of um, there's this this prayer. Uh, um, when I first got to the seminary, in my desk drawer, there was this little booklet had a rosary and then had a little prayer that you're supposed to pray after every decade for discerning your vocation. And part of the prayer was. Um, Lord, help me to want what you want me to want. And so it's kind of, so it's kind of like, I want to want what God wants me to want. Like, I want yes. to... <laughs> I want to want what you want yeah. me to want. Yeah. It's like the, I believe, help my unbelief. It's like, what, do I believe or don't I? It's like, I want to believe, and I'm aware, like, of the insufficiency in and of itself of my belief, but... Yeah, so it's like a, so it's an active and ongoing and living thing. Like it's not just like both of you were saying. Like it's this moment turning. Like with the hail, with the rosary, always turning our minds. I guess a an ongoing thing, which makes sense in terms of relationship. Like that's how relationships are. They keep you have to keep working. I think I don't know if that's helping. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Taryn. Uh, well, Deacon, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, or like, after his baptism, like we're baptized and we become like uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the presence of God, are we talking about like the Holy Spirit is inside of us or around us or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so there are different senses of presence. And so, like we would say at Mass, um, God is present in the word that's read from Scripture, um, that the priest is considered like an altar Christus, so there's he, the, the presence of God, of Christ is there in a certain sense. And then, especially in the Eucharist, like the Eucharist is a real sacramental, um, substantial presence. Um, and that also God is present, like separate from creation, but present everywhere in creation. That all of creation receives, like it's being from God. Sorry if this is getting too technical, uh, language-wise. But um, so yeah, so but there are different kinds of presence, and so in baptism, baptism we're uh, when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death and resurrection, and. Um, there's a change in who we are. There's like an actual, like, a change in our being. Like there, we're configured to God in a way that we weren't before. And so the presence, like God is always present to everyone, whether they're baptized or not, but God's presence in, present in a person in baptism in a way um, that wasn't the case before. Like the, the, the actual life of the Trinity is indwells us, we say. Like, and there's a, the beginning of that. It's the beginning of um, the movement toward like the life to come, what we we're hoping for in heaven. So, um, yeah, is that I don't know, is that addressing your question or is that 
Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, so, um, for Venerable Giovanni Matteo Ancina, um, he has a he has a, a very particular method for bringing the presence of God to mind. Uh, Father Giovanni Matteo Ancina constantly walked in the presence of God, enjoying the gift of a close and perpetual union of spirit with the divine majesty. Living as much as possible disengaged from active life, he was almost always reading and praying. Having first spoken by his example, he exhorted all to the fruitful practice of the presence of God, desiring that at least everyone should raise up his thoughts to God whenever the clock struck, renewing the recollection of his divine presence. And he especially liked people whilst raising their hearts to God at each stroke of the clock to say, O oh Lord, give me a good spirit. So I guess a, I thought of a few things with that. One was the idea of the Angelus, like um, that's tied to the clock at, at uh, morning, noon, and, uh, or, uh, and evening at the, the, the striking of the clock, you know, we stop and pray the Angelus and turn our minds, especially to the incarnation, God's indwelling and God's, God's presence becoming one of us. Uh, and then even the idea of like the liturgy of the hours or having like Sunday mass, like that in order to, in order to become, in order to, in order to pray all the time and so that we can be in the presence of all of God all the time, we also have to have specific times to, to that we turn to God. Um, and so I think, I thought that was kind of, and then also, the idea of it being a clock kind of goes together with Veronius's mind always being on eternity. Like we're, we're always aware that we have a limited time um, that can help us to be aware of God's presence. Yes? It just, that just thought just popped in my head. We have these modern devices, so hey, have your phone beep once on the hour. That beep to remind you just if you've forgotten at least for an entire hour. Say something to God. Say something then. That's right. Ask him how you did the past hour. That's the thought. That's a good thought. Yes? I, I did uh, uh, hear of an instance where a, a Lutheran minister was on his way to the Philippines, and uh, he had taken some, some books with him, but uh, his wife and family were going to meet up with him. And uh, so uh, when he got there, and finished reading Brother Lawrence and the Resurrections on the Practice of the Presence of God. And so he thought, well, this is interesting. I'm here alone. Maybe uh, at the quarter hour, when the clock, uh, which was a long time, every quarter, it would chime. And I'll, I'll remember for just a moment to enter into the sanctuary of my art. And that, that would be, and he, he became quite proficient at that uh, at remembrance of God. And then the wife and family showed up. <laughs> and this attachment was tested. But I mean, it was really is kind of one of the situations where when you start to practice this, I mean, we have our designated times of prayer throughout the day with the office and our oratory prayers. But, uh, you know, how, how do you get that more? I mean, it just seems like it's sort of the, the 
nuts and bolts of, of, of daily living mm -hmm. where this is practiced, not, not just the designated longer periods of prayer. Mm -hmm. Sort of the, the, the much more immediate half hour, hour, 15 minutes, whatever it might be. It's an interesting place to allow God to come in, or uh, the word I want to use is insert God or the, the thought of him into our lives, because I, I'm sure we don't think of it on an hourly basis, but really like time, unlike God, really is an unrelenting taskmaster. I mean, he, he never stops, you know, it, it just, it goes on and, and, and really it's, it's time and the movement and what it brings about that contains all the things we, we fear the most. It's one of the most illusory and yet the most valuable things to us, but, but we can't have any more of it than we have. And so into these markers of our life passing and our time passing, this like source of great fear and anxiety, you just insert this loving, trusting remembrance of, of God. And it could be um, really very beautiful. Sounds like we need an app. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we're talking about here is what the uh, what the oratorian there was mentioned at the end is the ejaculatory prayer, right? So uh, there, there, yeah. Helps if you happen to memorize it. You know, Father David's fond of reminding us of the, the Jesus prayer. But, you know, if, if you read the, any Catholic literature on a regular basis, especially saints, if you just jot down every time you see. And there's something, I guess, something about the the prayer itself too that you're kind of um, maybe acknowledging the taskmaster of time and asking for help. Oh Lord, give me a good spirit, like acknowledging my dependence upon God and maybe the need for conversion. Seems like a really simple little thing to ask for, doesn't it? There's something about it, like give me a good spirit. <laughs> I don't know. So. Okay. Um, maybe we can just skip through our last oratorium here. Um, so Father Agostino Mani often placed himself in the presence of God, imagining himself to be in his last agony, and making the last commendation of his soul to God with the most serious attention. He represented to himself the Most Blessed Virgin, whom he often invoked as being present at that terrible crisis, saying, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. The good disciple was well worthy of imitation, for besides this he made use of all creatures to raise his thoughts to God. He encouraged himself to this, in this devout exercise, saying, O my soul, by the aid of these drops, Go to rejoin thy fountain, and through these little streams extend thyself to the sea. Stay not without, for the good which thou seekest abidest within. Consequently, every exterior object served this man of God as a ladder by which to mount to the Creator, and he said, What avails it to be a spectator of the whole creation if we find not within it the architect who has framed it? 
He thought two things requisite for the practice of this exercise and for finding God in creatures. These were faith and love, with which two wings he soared from the visible to the invisible, earnestly asking grace from God. O Lord, let all things be to mine eyes as a mirror of thy countenance, and admonish me of thy presence. He used frequent ejaculations, chiefly those given above, considering that they had been framed in the heart of our holy master, St. Philip. <coughs> Any thoughts? Kind of encapsulated a lot of things that people have said already. Um, it's kind of a lot there. Some of the things maybe um, this idea of practicing it, practice at dying, considering that, uh, like Cardinal Newman said, life is short and death is certain, and the kingdom to come is everlasting. Like the fact that we're going to die. But then also, in the midst of that, um, he presented to himself Mary. And that's like the end of, we've been saying, I guess, a lot lately, um, when we say, every time we say the Hail Mary, we ask her to be with <coughs> us at this moment and at the hour of our death. And so just kind of adding to that, like actually practicing, imagining what that would be like to actually be at that point in one's life. And then also I liked, I liked the fact that he's kind of, instead of, I liked his idea, I liked his method of using creation <coughs> and creatures to kind of be aware of the presence of God, but instead of them being seen as these obstacles or these things to overcome or that I have to, he has to like muscle them out of his life, that instead they become the means by which he thinks of God and is aware of God. I thought that was kind of a very, that was like a very practical thing that we could all do. Um, like every time you look around. <coughs> yes, Frank. I was just thinking about that last point you made about, you know, seeing God like through his creation, letting that, um, the creative things and their beauty lead us to him. And just realizing that it's kind of one of those things where if we're aware of the presence of God, then we are going to see him. You know what I mean? So it's like the two things go hand in hand. So that if we're if we're truly aware that we're living and moving in his presence through all of these creative things, then we're going to have the eyes to see um, the beauty that comes from him in them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Anybody else? I think that's about an hour and a half. Um, so maybe we can, uh, we'll end with our prayer to St. Philip Neri, and then we'll have our closing hymn, and then if people want to stay, we have lots of dessert and fellowship if you'd like. So we can pray together. Look down from heaven, holy Father, from the loftiness of that mountain, to the lowliness of his valley, and that ardor of quietness and tranquility to this clan of the sea. And now that the darkness of this world hinders no more those kind eyes.
eyes of thine, from looking clearly into all things. Look down and visit, almost diligent Hebrew, this finger which thy right hand planted with so much labor, anxiety, and peril. To the end we fly, from you we seek prey, to thee we give our whole selves and reservedly. You the God is our patron and defender, and undertake the cause of our salvation. Protect thy clients. To thee we appeal as our leader. Rule thy army, fighting against the assaults of the devil. To thee, kindest of pilots, we give up the rudder of our lives. Steer this little ship of thine, and place as thou art on high. Keep us off all the rocks that evil desires, that with thee, our pilot and guide, we may safely come to the court of eternal bliss. And uh, maybe we can stand for the final hymn. And uh, this is not a very familiar hymn, I imagine, to most people. So maybe, hopefully, hopefully, once we get through the first verse, it'll be evident. Oh, gladsome light, oh, grace. something from this and I thank you for your patience. Thanks. Thank you.